And take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, as you're turning there, you know and I know that this world is a world full of suffering. And it's not just the suffering that we commonly think of, like disease and war and poverty and, and all of that. And that's, that's real suffering. Uh, but there's, there's another type of suffering that Romans touches on. And it's the suffering of the person who follows, who decides to follow Christ. There's a suffering that they live with every day. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I think you can relate to this type of suffering. And it may not rise to the level of having no food. It may not rise to the level of having a terrible disease. But there's a struggle that every Christian, whether that Christian is wealthy or poor, healthy or not, that we all go through. And it's it's this struggle. It's the struggle of having an outer flesh of a mortal body that wants to do bad, that gets tempted, and yet we have an inner person, our spirit, that wants to do the right thing, that wants to follow God. And so every day of our lives, there's this battle, there's this war that we wage. And we suffer the scars and the wounds of of this spiritual battle. But I want you to remember this, that God has not left us alone to fight the battle all by ourselves. He has given us His Holy Spirit. He's given His Holy Spirit to every single believer. And according to Romans, the Holy Spirit prays to the Father on our behalf. He prays that we might continue the fight, that we might do the right thing, that our our faith would not be shipwrecked. And so no matter what we go through, Romans 8 says, whether we go through good things, whether we go through bad things, God causes all these things to work together for a good outcome to those who love God. And we do love the Lord. And so we know that in eternity past, God somehow foreknew us who believe in Christ and he made a determination in eternity past that those who would come to faith in Christ would become like Christ. We are predestined to become like Christ. And so what did God do? He called us, he justified us, and he has glorified us just like the resurrected Son of God. Now, from our perspective, that glorification hasn't happened yet. But from God's perspective, who sees the past, the present, and the future, all simultaneously, it's as good as done. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 8, talks about our glorification, which we have not yet experienced. He talks about it in the past tense. Because it is as good as done. There's coming a day when our bodies will be resurrected from the dead and we'll be given brand new bodies, glorified bodies, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, while we're waiting for that day, while we're waiting for our glorification, what should we make of this suffering that we go through? Whether it's the suffering of that's common to humanity with disease and sickness and eventually death, 
whether it's the suffering that comes from being persecuted as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, persecuted for our faith, or whether it's the suffering of just having to go through this struggle day by day where our outer flesh wants to do bad, but our inner spirit says, no, we must do good. What should we make of this suffering? I mean, when we suffer, when you go through a bad time, should we view this as some type of abandonment by God? I mean, has God turned his back on us? Has he somehow become so displeased with our behavior, with our sinfulness, that he says, ah, I'm done with you, and he turns his back on us? When we go through difficulties, does it mean necessarily that we've somehow displeased God? Is God just constantly angry at us? Are the sufferings that we go through a sign that God is going to withhold his blessings from us. He's, although he's promised us things, he now says, oh no, you've blown it. I'm going to take back my promises. Is that it? What should we make of the sufferings that we go through? Well, the passage that we're going to look at today answers that. It's in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And so turn to Romans chapter 8, and when you found the place... Would you stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, we'll go through verse 39. And I'll be reading out loud from the New American Standard Bible. You can read along silently. Scripture says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But... In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father in heaven, I ask that you'd grant us understanding of your word, that you would apply it to our lives, that you would encourage us, lift us up if we are down in our spirits. Father, help us minister these truths to the people in our world even after this service is over. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. You may be seated. Paul writes in verse 31, what, shall, what then shall we say to these things? What things is he talking about? The things he's talking about are our suffering. What shall we say to this suffering that we go through? I mean, you know, God has promised us many things, but we have to wait for some of them. In the meantime, we suffer. We struggle against sin. We face opposition from the world. So what should we make of that? You know, when you go through a bad time, you know this, and I know this, it can, it can leave us fearful. And it can get us frustrated. We can become anxious about life, worried about things. The circumstances of life and things aren't going right, they can rob you of your peace. But they don't have to. There's another option. The option is for you to choose to rest in what you know to be true. And what is it that you know to be true? Verse 31. Look at the last part. If God is for us, who's against us? This is not insignificant. God is for you. God is on your side. God is on your team. How do I know this? Because God knew you before you even came into existence. I know this because God predestined you to become like His Son. I know this because God called you. To salvation. I know this because God justified you and he made you innocent in his eyes. I know this because God has promised that he will glorify you. God's going to finish the job. What God started, he will finish. He's going to make you into the image of his resurrected son. I want you to think about something. If God's plan for you extends backwards into eternity past when he foreknew you, and God's plan for you extends forward into eternity future where you'll be glorified, do you really think that God somehow messed up the middle? Do you really think that he's somehow forgotten you right now? Do you think that somehow, in the present, God's promises are not true? That God is no longer with you? Listen, God was with you when you were just a thought in His mind in eternity past. And God has promised to be with you for all eternity in the future. So you know He's with you right now. You know He's with you right now. I mean, do you really think that the God of the universe who gave His only Son to die for us would somehow bail out on you just because you're having a bad day? Just because you're struggling? 
just because you're suffering, and I'm not making light of your suffering. I'm not making light of your struggles. But I don't want your struggles and your suffering to change your view of God. God is with you in the midst of the suffering and the struggles. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Think about it. If God withheld His favor from us because we struggle, because we suffer, because we mess up, because we allow that outer flesh to win a battle here and there, and we fall and we sin. If God withheld His favor from us simply because we're struggling, then that would diminish what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because we struggle. He died on the cross for our suffering, because we suffer, because we can't please God. And if God turns His back on us because we're not pleasing to Him, then what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Jesus' death on the cross addressed the current present sufferings that you go through. In fact, Jesus' death on the cross, in spite of our inability to please God, is proof that God will freely give us all things. Because it's not based on your current bad day. God's promises are based on what Jesus did for us. And so if you're struggling, if you're suffering, I believe that God says, I know. And it doesn't change the fact that I love you. God says, I love you. When you want to look at yourself in the mirror and beat yourself up, or when things are so bad that you can't even look yourself in the mirror, when you're struggling that bad and you think nobody could love me, God says, I love you. I love you, period. And so when you stumble and fall, when that outer flesh wins a battle over your inner spirit, can even the devil's accusations against you stick? No. And if the devil himself and his accusations can't stick, then neither can anyone else's. Don't let someone else pull you down. Verse 33 says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? You might wonder, well, why can't the accuser bring a charge against me? Because, I, I, I mean, I've done something wrong. Why can't the accuser bring a charge against me? It's not about whether you did something wrong or not. All the wrong stuff you ever did or currently do or will do is covered on by the cross. It's not about the wrong thing that you've done. It's this. The accuser doesn't have the authority to bring a charge against you. Let me explain. Is the accuser your judge? No. God is your judge. Only God can bring that charge. Verse 33 continues. God is the one who justifies. It's like a criminal trial. Okay, let's put it in terms we can understand. You got a prosecutor who's he? The prosecutor's the accuser. But the prosecutor is not the judge. The prosecutor can only bring charges. He can only present evidence to support 
the charges. But the one and the only one who can declare you to be innocent is the judge. God is the one who justifies. The prosecutor cannot, he doesn't have the authority to find you innocent. And he doesn't have the authority to find you guilty. He only has one thing he can do. Bring charges. He can only make accusations. It is the judge and the judge alone who justifies or condemns. Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? It's the judge and the judge alone. We read Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You see, the only one who has the authority to condemn you is Jesus. And he's not going to. Jesus will not condemn you. How do we know Jesus won't condemn us? Because Jesus didn't die on the cross to condemn you. He died on the cross to save you. John chapter 3, verse 17. What does Jesus say? For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus died on the cross not to condemn you, but to save you. Look what else Romans 8.34 says. It says that Jesus was raised from the dead. What God did for Jesus, God will do for us. We are far from condemned. God has promised that we'll be given resurrected, glorified bodies like Jesus. That doesn't sound like someone who's condemned. It says in Romans 8.34 that Jesus is at the right hand of God. What does that mean? In Psalm 110, God the Father says to God the Son, He says to Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet. You see, when someone is at the right hand of the king, it means that person has all the authority of the king. And being at the right hand of God means that the Father has given the Son all authority. Do you really think that the one who died to save you will now condemn you? Of course not. Of course not. He won't do that. Look what else Romans 8.34 says. It says Jesus intercedes for us. And this, this ought to blow your mind. Because earlier in Romans 8... We learn that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who knows our heart, who knows the deepness and the darkness and all of the things of the heart that we can't ever even know ourselves, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, He constantly prays for us. But that's not enough. Not only is the Holy Spirit praying for us, the Spirit who dwells in our spirit, but also... Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God. Jesus, who dwells with the Father, who has the full attention of the Father. He prays for us too. 
That's amazing to me. That two of the members of the triune God are praying to the Father for me and for you. Look at verse 35. So who will separate us from the love of Christ? You know, in this world, there, there, are certain, there are certain consequences that we have of living in this world. In this realm of sin and darkness and death. In this world, we have tribulation and we have distress and we have persecution and we have hunger and we have need and we have danger. But you know what? None of these things have any bearing whatsoever on this simple fact. God loves you. God loves you. Verse 35 continues. Will tribulation, will distress, will persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, will any of that separate us from the love of Christ? Listen, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. All you need to do is remember this very thing. God is with you. He is for you. And he loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Verse 36, it continues. It says, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Next verse. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I love that idea of overwhelmingly conquer. It's one thing to conquer. It's one thing to win. It's another thing to win overwhelmingly. You know, the bad things in your life, the things like your struggles and your suffering, they don't separate you from the love of God. In fact, just the opposite is true. When you have bad times going on in your life, it ought to serve as a reminder to you that God loves you. Well, how could that be? Because every time that something bad happens, you can look that bad circumstance square in the eye and say, God still loves me. God still loves me. You're not separating me from God's love. You get a bill in the mail, some health bill that's too much for you to pay. That's not separating you from God's love. It's just a temporary problem. Give it over to the Lord. See what the Lord can do. You get some bad news. That's not separating you from God's love. Give it over to the Lord. You know, everything in your life, whether it's good or bad, God causes all these things to work together for a good final result. And you're not going to avoid difficulties in your life. I mean, you might even someday be on the receiving end of persecution for your faith. But I want to let you know this. It does not matter what you go through. It doesn't matter how bad things get. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will able, be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there's a message that I could leave you with today, it's the message 
that we need to be reminded of. God loves you. Period. Not God loves you if. Not God loves you however. Not God loves you sometimes. No, God loves you. Period. You'll never be able to escape that. Because his love knows no bounds.